Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. So last week, Jesus laid out for us some really impossible standards to meet when it comes to discipleship. Jesus says, do not let your family relationships get in the way of the kingdom of God. Sell all of your possessions. Now, how many of you all broke relationships with your family this week, not over football or over politics, but over religion? Which one of you this last week gave away all of your possessions? Which one of you took up your cross and literally followed Jesus to death for your faith? What an impossible standard Jesus lays out for what a disciple is. A disciple is one who puts the kingdom of God above everything, and yet all of us failed to meet the standard that Jesus lays out. Maybe this is why Luke follows up this story in which it seems, and in fact is, impossible to be a full disciple like Jesus wants with a story of grace. The tax collectors and the Pharisees are standing around and they notice that all of the sinners, excuse me, the, the Pharisees and the legal scholars are standing around and they notice that all of the sinners and the tax collectors are coming to Jesus. Now, first of all, let's just say, isn't that weird? Isn't that we say that we want people to do is we want the sinners, the ones who feel that they are outside of God's grace to come to the church? to come to Jesus, and yet the religious authorities of the time sat there and saw this as a strange behavior. Who would sit there and welcome those who the rest of society knows are fallen and broken people? And so Jesus follows this challenge with two stories. The first one is about a sheep who has gotten lost And the shepherd goes and leaves the 99 sheep to go and find the one. And another story about a woman who has lost a coin and tears her house apart looking for that coin. And when she finds it, she celebrates. These parables are challenges to those who would sit there and say that sinners have no business being in the nearness of God And they challenge us to believe that those are the very people that should be in the presence of God and that we should count ourselves as one of those who is undeserving and yet whose God's grace falls upon. Robert Farrah Capon says that the entire cause of the recovery operation in both these stories is the shepherds or the woman. Determination to find the lost. Neither the lost sheep nor the lost coin does a blessed thing except stay lost. The strength of the parable, he says, is precisely that our sins, not our goodness, is what most commend us to the grace of God. So being lost 
thank goodness, is not an obstacle to a life with God. Now, the gospel offers us two examples of lostness, right? So the first one is the sheep. And the sheep is at fault for its lostness. It didn't stay with all the other sheep and wandered off. And sometimes that's what our lostness is like. We have done it to ourselves. We are the ones who have done it, and we are really to blame for our own failures. But it offers another type of lostness that sometimes you might resonate more with, which is, I didn't even know I was lost. Right? This is the coin. The coin didn't know it was lost. The woman knew it was lost. But did the coin have any understanding that it was lost? Here is the thing about lostness. Sometimes we know that we are lost and we're unsure how to be found. And other times we are lost and we didn't even know anybody was looking for us. Years ago, my mother had come for a visit and she hopped on to 169 and was driving south, heading back to Oklahoma City. And if you've ever noticed there, there's this weird sort of division um, for, to get on the Cream Turnpike. One will take you east towards Joplin, one will take you west towards Oklahoma City. And it can actually be a little bit complicated if you're not paying really close attention which one you're hopping on. So here she's driving, she's talking on the phone, she's driving down 169, she's headed back to Oklahoma City, and she's sitting there, she's talking to her friend, and all of a sudden she goes, why am I seeing ads for Grand Lake? (laughs) Right, suddenly she realized that she was lost and needed to be found. Sometimes that is how it is with us. All of a sudden, we see the signs and we go, oh my gosh, I got to turn myself around. And for other people, we don't figure it out till we end up in Joplin. (laughs) Have you ever been lost? Have you ever lost a child? I can remember one time we were at the mall and we found somebody that we knew. Actually, I, I think it was Rachel Roper. And we were sitting there talking, and all of a sudden, we noticed that one of the kids had gotten onto the escalator, and we could see them riding up the escalator, right? And this feeling of panic of, one, what happens if a kid falls down the escalator? But, but two, your, your kid's alone, right? I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking about what it's like to be this lost sheep who is sitting there going, bah, bah, hoping to hear the bleeps of its other sheep friends, so that it can be found, or hoping that the shepherd would hear its voice and bring it back into the flock, right? We have had these cries before where we're sitting there, we're, we're crying out for God, God, find me, God, save me, God, help me, God, restore this thing, bleeping and crying and hoping beyond hope that we will be found. And other times, we're like the coin. And we just sit there and we don't know anything is going on around us. Okay, some theology from our friends at Friends TV show. In the second season, Joey and Chandler are babysitting Ross's son, Ben. And they enjoy the attention that having a baby seems to attract women around them. So they really like babysitting this child. And all of a sudden, they realized that they left the baby on the bus that they were traveling, and they lost the child. 
So they have to go down to DHS and there's two babies and they're not really sure which one is the right one. Now how do we know that they picked up the right baby? Well, one, for those who really know about the show, is that Ben would cry anytime he was around Monica. But more importantly, Ross and Carol, his parents, knew. This is why this image of God as a parent, God as a father, is so critical for us because God knows each of us and is just waiting to hear that little bleep coming from us, calling out. Jesus wants us to relate to God, not as this distant God who cares nothing about us, but a God who loves us so much. A love that one author says that parental love is a love that evolution cannot explain. Francis Bufford writes that lost people arouse Jesus' particular tenderness, that each person in front of him is for that moment the missing sheep, that Jesus is never disgusted by those who are lost either intentionally or unintentionally. He never says to anybody, you are too dirty to be touched. The Christian desert monastics must have known this because they taught about the ascetical practices, how important it was to sit there and have good spiritual practices. But the other thing that they held in relationship with that is this deep abiding love that God loves us absolutely, even when we fail in our practices. The Christian monastics were sought after not because, excuse me, they were, they were sought out specifically because they were seen as holy people, right? It wasn't just that they had great spiritual practices, but that led to a holiness. Rowan Williams says that the devil has incredible um, ascetical spiritual practices. He knows scripture inside and out. The devil is always ready and prepared, like Jesus tells us to do. The difference, Rowan Williams says, between the devil and holiness is that the devil doesn't know that he is lost. And so compasses are a good thing for us to have in our lostness, right? Um, They're sort of a lost art because now we just sit there and say, hey Siri, how do I get to Dallas? And it tells us. We don't you know, open up a a map and and sit there and get a, a compass out. But compasses are invaluable for us in helping us find whether we are lost. Admitting that we are lost is not about giving up. It is a spiritual reality to which we all belong. And the moment that we realize that we are all lost people, the much healthier we are and the much more likely we are to be found. That acknowledging our own lostness is the first step in acknowledging grace for ourselves and grace for our neighbor. There's a story about a brother who goes to complain to the abbot that some other brother is failing to stay awake in the midst of the divine service and they want to know what is the abbot going to do about it. And the abbot says, I would let them lay their head in my lap and sleep. 
In other words, we must meet people where they are rather than seeking to punish those who are less, who are lost. Instead, let the constant contact of God in prayer, in our scripture reading, and in the sacraments be a point of conversion for ourselves and for our neighbor so that we can receive the grace upon grace upon grace. One constant tension in a life of faith is this tension between um, acknowledging grace and acknowledging sinfulness right? So if you just sit there and you just grace, 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 you never acknowledge the ways in which you fall short. But if all you're doing is, man, I failed to do this, I failed to do this, I failed to do this, then you sit there and you can never admit that God loves you for who you are and where you are. The church has long held but often forgotten that sin is healed by solidarity with one another. The person saying, I am a sinner, and the person next to me saying, hey, guess what? Me too. To, as Paul says, to admit that we have fallen short of the glory of God. Paul says in today's epistle reading that I am grateful to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he judged me faithful and pointed me to his service, even though, right, even though I'm a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence, even though, Paul says, God has shown grace even on me. One of the things I love about the Anglican tradition is that our liturgy holds the two things in tension, both the acknowledgement of the, the reality of sin Right, so for them, some of those who are longtime Episcopalians, you may have remembered when in our confession of sin we admitted that we have no health within us. Oh. Right, that's pretty. That's pretty steep. We have no health within us to admit that we have strayed from Thy ways like lost sheep. But then we hear the words, the comfortable words, of which this reading from First Timothy partly comes. To be assured of the hope that God has laid out to us in Christ Jesus. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But for that very reason I receive mercy. So that in me and as the foremost Christ Jesus may display the utmost patience making me an example. So my friends, my fellow sinners, hold fast to your sins, hold fast to your lostness, but hold fast even more to the grace that God offers us in Jesus. Amen.